Welcome. My name is Anne-Marie St. Germain, and I chair the program committee of the Board of Governors of City Club of Chicago. It is my great pleasure to say hello this morning to all of you. Thank you for braving the rain. Um, we are very proud at City Club to be partnered with the University of Chicago's Office of Civic Engagement on a series of timely topical issue panels. Um, and I think we're going to learn a lot this morning and enjoy a robust discussion. I would now like to introduce uh, Dean Deborah Gorman-Smith, um, Dean of the School of Social Service Administration at the University of Chicago. Dean Gorman-Smith. Good morning. We'll try it one more time. Good morning. Good. I know it took many of us much longer to get here than it normally does. So uh, thank you all for being here. Um, I'm extremely pleased to welcome you here to SSA, both here in our lobby and also by live stream. Um, as you heard, uh, this morning's event is part of an ongoing partnership between the University of Chicago's Office of Civic Engagement and the City Club of Chicago. And SSA is honored to be a part of that partnership. It's a lot of parts. Uh, which brings community stakeholders to the table to share ideas on pressing social issue, issues facing our city. Thanks in particular to the board and staff at the City Club of Chicago, as well as our colleagues in New Chicago's Office of Civic Engagement, including Derek Douglas, Susana Vasquez, and Wendy Williams. SSA is especially proud to be part of UChicago's Partnering for Community Impact Initiative. This is an institute-wide commitment that blends the community's economic strength and the power of education, research, and innovation to create impact and opportunity. Each school and division at UChicago bring it, brings its unique strengths to this effort. At SSA, our faculty and students are working with community leaders using research and insights on education, economic disparities, and other social welfare concerns to help build a stronger and more vibrant Chicago for all residents. To bolster our work, in July, SSA became the academic home of the university's Urban Education Institute. Institute, a move that advances the university's commitment to academic excellence and our mission to address major social challenges. SSA and UEI have a history of significant collaborative work and education policy, research, engaging students to improve K-12 public schooling, and translating research to direct practice. You'll be hearing more about our work this morning from our panelists. Sarah Duncan, co-executive director of SSA's Network for College Success. Don Ramos, principal of Tilden Career Community Academy. Maurice Swinney, chief equity officer at the Chicago Public Schools. And our moderator, Beth Swenson, CEO of A Better Chicago and a member of the UEI Council. Educational equity is a subject that concerns us deeply at SSA and why we have a keen interest in hosting this particular conversation. We know that the right mix of leadership, 
vision, and research can transform communities and entire cities. This morning is a chance to learn how educators, policymakers, and universities like UChicago are working together to level the playing field for all students. We have much to share and learn from each other. Again, thank you all for joining us this morning and for your interest in this important topic. It's now my great pleasure to introduce our moderator, Beth Swanson. As I mentioned, Beth is the CEO of A Better Chicago and a member of the UEI Council. She has devoted her professional career and most of her adult life to education. As CEO of A Better Chicago, Beth leads a venture philanthropy fund dedicated to fighting poverty. Beth formerly served as Deputy Chief of Staff for Education and Mayor Rahm Emanuel's administration, where she helped launch the full school day initiative and established the city's Summer of Learning program. She also was the former Vice President of Strategy and Programs at the Joyce Foundation, where she oversaw an annual grant portfolio of $50 million, provided strategic direction to all programs, and drove foundation-wide innovative initiatives. She earned her bachelor's degree from Amherst College and is a UChicago alum with a master's in public policy from the Harris School. She was also singled out as a 40 under 40 leader by Crane Chicago Business. Please join me in welcoming Beth Swanson. Thank you. Thank you. Um, very generous uh, introduction. So thank you, and thank you for being here. I see uh, lots and lots of friends and colleagues from all those different jobs that I've had in Chicago. So um, it's very good to see you all again. I feel like it's a reunion. Um, so thank you for being here and getting through this awful weather as well. Um, and we really have a, um, a really critical topic to talk about today and a great panel to do so. Um, before we jump into questioning, um, and I will let everyone introduce themselves and their work just momentarily, but I just want to um, basically ground the conversation in some uh, data points. But CPS, as I think we all know um, in this room, has just seen unprecedented gains over the last couple of decades. Um, and CPS students have really progressed faster academically um, than their peers at a faster rate than 96% of their counterparts in districts across this country. And that came out of research um, by Dr. Sean Reardon in Stanford University as he looked across the country and CPS really became an outlier to the point where he actually kept going back to the data and saying, can this be true that Chicago is moving kids and all kids? So if you look at all demographic groups, they were all moving the right direction. High school graduation rates are at the highest they've ever been. More CPS graduates are enrolling, persisting, and graduating from college. So there is indeed a lot to celebrate. But when it really comes to equity, we also know there is so, so much more to do um, in this city and across all of our schools. The difference between academic outcomes for white students and students of color really remains quite wide, and it can't be ignored. Um, a couple of facts just to consider as we get into today's conversation. About 88% of white students graduate on time versus 73% of black students. 61% of Latinx students scored at or above grade level on the national NWA exams compared to 84% of white students. You know, I would argue none of those numbers um, for any of those demographics are really where they should be. We need to keep pushing all demographics up. Um, but we really can't celebrate progress, I think, until all of our students are able to share equally in that progress and we really attack the equity issues um, that exist. And that's why I'm excited to get into this conversation with you all today. Um, 
We are going to dig into one successful program. There are many, and I see many partners um, in, in the audience as well, working with our schools and our district. Um, but today we're going to focus on the Network for College Success that addresses these very issues. We'll hear from Sarah Duncan, NCS co-founder, um, as well as Don Ramos, principal of Tilden Com Career Community Academy, and Maurice Sweeney, chief equity officer of Chicago Public Schools. Um, and this group really can, A, they work very closely together and know each other very well in their, in their work. Um, and they can also speak directly to data-driven approaches uh, that are showing impressive outcomes for all students and how we can really drive this system towards um, supporting all of our young people equally. So Maurice, I would like to start with you. Um, I know Dr. Jackson takes this subject extremely seriously and has really prioritized it um, you know, under her leadership. And really, your office um, was also a response to some of these concerns. So I'd love to, for you to tell us a little bit more about the office um, and just your work. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So the, um, in a nutshell, the role of the equity office is to help the district become more equitable. Um, it is about understanding the relationship between policy, resources, partnerships, relationships, and mindsets. Um, and how do we, when we talk about moving toward a more equitable system, we have to consider all of those things in relation to each other in order to start to move the needle. It, this work uh, is also about like how do we as, a, as an office be integrated into the work of every office and department. So Dr. Jackson's vision wasn't that the equity office would come in with a bunch of initiatives and start, you know, here's a new program for boys and young men of color and, and all of these things that are very important to us, but really how do we take the time to really assess, to assess the impact of the work that we've been doing over the years um, onto the lives of our young people? Like how do we skip past what intent? Like, you know, we always say we have good intent, but this is not about intent for us, this is about impact. And what do the numbers tell us? And then how do we get behind those numbers to, rake real, to make real meaning uh, to cause systems change? And so over the last year, for me, my team has been in place about 10 months now. But over the last year, um, a part of what I've been doing is being all around the city, uh, really, really understanding the stories of people. Because a part of the equity work is about the counter narrative. Um, you know, what's really happening in the lives of people and how do we begin to take that information so that we reimagine a system um, with them in mind, especially those who have been historically underserved. And then how do we also look at data from a different perspective? Like what's behind the numbers? Percentages are important, but they're only the beginning of information. Um, and so for us, we look at percentages and then we see like who else is underserved. We actually, I just want to flag something. Um, we don't talk about achievement gaps in the Office of Equity. If we use the term gap ever, it's about opportunity gap, meaning that the responsibility of adults to remedy these situations um, is critical. Achievement gaps seem to lay the burden on young people, and so we're not going to use that language. And then also, uh, finally, I'll say before I pass it back to you, it is about systems change. It is really about systems change. And so my team and I have been in every office or department. We read um, everything. We look at data. We unpack it because we really want to make sure that over the years we don't see gaps in achievement, um, that those things that, that are currently in play no longer exist. But also, like you said a moment ago, I'm not satisfied with any number because if if, if those were our children, 
you would not want to be on the side of the other percentage where it's not the highest graduation rate, right? And so that is that is critical for the Office of Equity. So that's us in a nutshell. <laughs> Terrific, thanks. Um, Sarah, I'll turn to you. Um, we'd love to hear more about the Network for College Success, and you're obviously one of the founders and just the work that's, that's happening throughout the district. Thanks so much. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Glad to have you here at SSA. Um, my background is in uh, youth development and community schools movement, and I have we have friends and colleagues from both of those. In the last 13 years, I've been working with the Network for College Success. It was the purpose of the Network for College Success is um, related to what Maurice is talking about, which is to um, change academic outcomes and therefore life options for black and Latino students in the Chicago public schools. And recently we've expanded out of Chicago to do some work nationally. Um, I want to bring Melissa Roderick into the room. She's our founder. She claimed she didn't found the Network for College Success, but I was here and I disagree. <laughs> and in fact, I think it was right over there where she was like, Sarah, what if we got a group of principals together to discuss research? What if we did this? What, what could happen? Because the research coming out of the consortium, which is one of our closest partners, we, were, we consider ourselves like the practice arm of the consortium, um, really showed that things were not okay. When we came into the work, on-track rates and graduation rates were in the 50s and 60s um, for the whole district. And so really you had like one chance in two of graduating when you entered high school. And that was not okay. <laughs> and it still is it's still not where it needs to be, but, um, but the system has shifted so much. I don't the network of college success started modestly. We really wanted to get some principals in a room to talk about research, and we didn't anticipate necessarily changing, um, like being a part of a system shift that now we have the um, uh, freshman on track is at 89%, and the graduation rate is um, almost at 80 or right under 80. Um, yeah, and that's like, that's a whole, I mean, it's not good enough. But progress, it's really important for us to acknowledge the progress and what has been made. And, um, and outcomes have improved for all, uh, all student groups. Um, not enough, but it's still important to say that because all improvements don't impact all student groups necessarily. Um, so what we try to do is to think about how do we respond to research. Um, I've got team members in the audience as well, and a lot of our folks are spending all of their time helping principals and, and other educators um, think about if we know this from research, what do we do differently in our buildings to change those outcomes? And it's been our great uh, honor to work with educators like Maurice and Dawn and many of you in the room to... Um, to think that through, um, I think what's different about the Network for College Success, among other things, is that Melissa's vision was that the purpose of research was to figure out what the problems were and to describe them in some detail, and that the answers are in the field. The people in the field know what the answers are, and so it's not, we don't come to our schools and say, so, you're, you're, here's your data, we think you should do this. Because, but we do bring people together to talk about what's working with data. You can see who's doing a little better and what are they doing differently. And that, um, that conversation has catalyzed the change in, um, in Chicago. We, and we, we don't claim all of the change. This is a lot of people working together, right? But we're honored to be a part of that. 
Um, and since we're in SSA, especially, I wanted to hold up, like, we're not social workers, but we, our approach is, uh, has social work values. Um, we have a strengths-based approach. We have a problem-solving approach. In education, we're used to having people being beaten with data, and we don't. We never use that. We there's no shame. We're using data to solve problems. And if there's if there are problems in data, there's always strengths as well. Um, and so, the social work approach I think has been really valuable to us. Thank you, Don. Can you tell us more about Tilda and your work there and and NCS role in that as well? Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I've had the privilege of working with NCS for a little over six years now uh, in multiple capacities. I'm currently the principal. Prior to becoming principal, I was an instructional coach. Uh, I was a teacher. I was a case manager. And then uh, before becoming principal, I was the assistant principal. And all of my roles uh, at Tilden, I've been able to have some coaching um, opportunities from NCS, with the exception of the case manager role. And just speaking about or thinking about how the work happens on the ground and what Sarah mentioned is one of the key consistent themes across coaches has been you bring something to the table you know the data, this is your data, let's talk about some of the implications that your team might decide to take as next steps. Um, and so I think that's been one of the critical elements. Um, the coach was never there to say, hey, you should try this, or hey, this school is doing that, you should consider doing this. And I think the other key lever for us has definitely been the building of adult capacity. We're a small school. We have a limited number of staff who are wearing a number of hats. And so it's very important for us to build the capacity of the adults who are leading different teams with very consistent ways of doing the work. Um, the adult capacity in terms of receiving the coaching support definitely helps us. When we're looking at the data, it's our data. Whether we want to like the data or not is our data, and it's, it's our responsibility to figure out what are some next things. And I think the other key lever has also been this idea of taking the cyclical approach. So there's a very common way of we look at the data, we make some decisions, we socialize, we make meaning, we have some team conversations about the data. Within those teams, team conversations, we reflect on how that went. Did, do we think we may have impacted the adult instructional shift that we were looking for? If not, what are we going to do next time when we're in the room with the adults and we're talking about data in the same type of format? Um, I think that's definitely been crucial. And one other thing I, I feel like I have to mention is the, the, there is a data set that we receive called Who's in Your Building? And that has been a critical data set for us to know how to set up supports. At Tilden, we have traditionally serviced students who come from under-resourced communities, students who have experienced trauma, and students who have very limited experience of success in school. And so when they come to us, they have a very preconceived notion about who we're going to be to them and who they need to be to us. And so we use that data to figure out what do we need to support students who are coming in with opportunity? And what do we need to support students who are coming in considered high risk? High risk? And so we plan ahead of time so that we can start to have those conversations because we can make assumptions all we want. But it's very important for us to have conversations with the students who are entering our building 
so that we can plan and prepare some of the supports. Um, I know my answer is probably a little longer. One more point I'll make. We have used that data um, to grow our freshman on track. Two years ago, our freshman on track rate was 64%. The freshman on track rate that we received last week was, I say 82%, it was actually 81.5%, but I round up. Uh, but that work has come from very deliberate, intentional, and heartfelt conversation about what we need to do for the kids that are in front of us, regardless of what systems may have set up, may have been set up that are working against us. Great. Could you just as a follow up give us a specific, you know, is there a program of support and intervention when you say like the, the data drove you to do what, you know, give us an example of that, how it comes to life. It, it's looking at where students are coming in and making decisions about some of the, you know, maybe we need to have some clinical resources. This past summer, we had some ninth grade students, a specific example coming in that we knew needed some additional SEL support. We, we couple SEL and academic support together. We can't have one without the other in our building. And really quickly, for non-educators, this SEL is social-emotional learning. Social, yes, social-emotional. So we couple those supports together. So one example, uh, this summer we were able to provide clinical support. We had therapists in the building this summer working with students who were going to be transitioning with us in the upcoming ninth grade year. And that was a way for us to start to break down some of the preconceived notions that kids had come in with in terms of what they thought they might experience entering their ninth grade year. Terrific. Maurice, as you see the work happening at Tilden and other schools that NCS works with, how does that influence then your decisions at the district? Or how, do you, how are you getting these sort of lessons throughout to other schools? Um, I would say that that's a growth opportunity for us as a district to really heighten the effective practices across the district. I know that's one of the things that's on Dr. Jackson's mind um, as she moves around the city. As we all move around the city, we see great promising practices across several schools. And so what Dawn is describing is one um, where they really focus on the, the whole child development, um, especially for students who are who have been uh, marginalized or live in divested communities, like how do we do the wraparound supports within the school building as opposed to um, some situations where families can support their young people uh, within their home or outside of the school. Um, so that that's that's critically important. And I and I also one of the beauty one of the beautiful things about Chicago Public Schools is that we do have networks set up around the city. So they have we have network chiefs who are using some of the promising practices that are happening in NCS, but also those network chiefs have been setting up systems and structures um, among the schools in which they uh, guide and serve to really, really do these problems of practice, these data sets, these cycles, to make better meaning of the student experience in school. So that's a part of it, and, and we will continue to drive uh, forward. As we see our data constantly increasing, um, we will continue to pull, like, what are the promising practices that are really causing that data to change? Nice. Um, aside from just replicating or trying to spread throughout the district, I know, Sarah, you mentioned also thinking about national replication and, and taking things to other districts. Could you give us an example? What are the core components that you feel are replicable? I know every district different, every school is different, community is different. You know, what are the core tenants that you're working on to bring to other districts? Yeah, I think this combination of using research and then using data analysis to see how this research is playing out in your building. And then um, 
we would call it professional learning. Of, uh, there's, we do professional learning in sort of two uh, modes. One is bringing people together. And then the second one is sending coaches out to schools. So if you bring people together, you can learn from each other. Principals can learn from each other. Um, I think it's just true of human beings. We all prefer to learn from peers. Um, and so it's very powerful when you can create some conditions for trust in a community and you can get to um, like what's really happening, what am I really proud of, what am I really afraid of? Um, because then you start getting to like what matters and otherwise there's no point in having a conversation really. We could all talk about the weather. Um, or talk about like what our, our talking points for how great we're doing, um, those kind of performances. Um, and then what our coaches do is to go into schools and help them like, okay, now that we know this and you've heard some things from your colleagues, um, how does this look in your context? Who are the people? What are the teams? Who can pull which data that you need? What additional questions do you have? What additional data do you need? Where can you get it? So it's this sort of implementation coaching um, that, um, I think is critical to help people think things through. I think a lot of us know a lot of stuff we're not necessarily implementing in our lives, right? Like we could all probably be living a little healthier lifestyle. We could probably all be uh, more environmentally conscious, right? But, but without someone to help you think it through and some social accountability, it's hard to implement. We're all like running busy all the time, right? Um, principals are bombarded by different forms of accountability, um, I was talking to someone last night, and they're like, you know, the principal, everyone, everyone thinks the principal reports to them, right? Um, everyone from the local school council to their network chief to the alderman to the local police, like, you know, everyone thinks they own a principal. And so it's, it's a lot of work to put that, and what I really admire, and, and um, these two in particular, is like to put that over here and say, like, what about these students? And how are we as a community of adults going to support them to success? Um, so back to the national stage. You know, the research is here. The research is solid. Um, and the data might have to change by context. And then the peer learning piece. I think those three pieces together are really powerful. And, and it doesn't work without one of them. You know, if we're just talking about research and theory without looking at our data, we're not going to get any place. Bef uh, mm -hmm. Before I was a principal here in Chicago at Tilden um, with Dawn, we, you know, you know, it's sometimes I sit here like, maybe we should acknowledge that we actually we worked together a long time. Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, remember that? Uh, I did try to say you knew each other well. I was trying yeah, to yeah, forecast yeah. a little that um, uh, when I was a ninth grade principal in Louisiana, we were using the freshman on track data to start up fresh, uh, freshman uh, schools within the school, that, that concept, um, like using that data. And one of the things, uh, you, something you said a moment ago about like the context might change, which means the approach might change, but the focus is really on the whole child development of the freshmen who are coming into a particular building. And then how does that school begin to rede redesign itself in service of students. And I think that is what's making this particular work good because it's not like here is the program that you do, here is the scripted thing that you do with freshmen in this particular class, but it's about like how do we do the adult learning practice uh, shifts that are needed for every particular group of freshmen. That has been part of the reason why Chicago is constantly on the rise with freshmen on track because it's, it's about looking at the data and understanding that ninth graders are walking into these new spaces 
and they have four years to be successful before they enter like adulthood and that so we have, it's some time sensitive work uh that's critically important and i just i just want to raise that for us that it's not very scripted at all but it's designed around professional learning and uh whole child development you know, what other conditions for success you know don as you think about as you're both tilden um <laughs> yeah, leader um <laughs> But as you, it, you know, because it isn't just, you know, plug and play, right? You need to have the right conditions for success. And what do those look like? Yeah, I, as Maurice was talking, uh, I was thinking about conditions. And I think um, something that I would add to what Sarah has said is the relation, the adult relationship building that goes on between the adults and uh, that are embedded in the work. Um, there is a lot of work that has to be done to develop an extreme amount of trust because of all the complexity that adults bring to the table. We're looking at data. Everyone has their own belief about the data. Everyone has their own experience of why the data is this way or the why the data is that way. Um, and so we spend a lot of time building community, building trust, trying to better understand ourselves as people before we understand, understand ourselves as the teacher, the principal, the assistant principal. Um, and I think uh, that has definitely been a factor to this work because it also trickles down to what we do with adults is what we'd like to see done with, with kids, right? We want you to build relationships with kids. So at Tilden, one of the other um, structures that we have in place that we didn't talk about is this four-by-four four structure. So students take four classes a semester, and they only have to focus on four teacher demands a semester. And teachers now only have to focus on three groups of students as opposed to five or six at a traditional school. And that was set up through intentional design. That is something that Mr. Sweeney brought with him with with him when he came uh, to us at Tilden. That's set up because we wanted to create some spaces within the school day so that there can be some relationships building that's outside of the classroom. So we have different opportunities within the school day where teachers can have these moments with kids and they're asking the right questions and they're figuring out how to, how to work with one another as humans. And that's the humanity and the humility approach from NCS, uh, I think is is also a key driver to this work. And while we see that, like our freshman on track is pushing at ninety, that the other ten percent is still critically important to us as a district and as a and and every uh, school where we have some students who are not having the same outcomes as their peers. Um, and a part of the the district solution behind that, uh, let me give you three things. Okay, you have process, content, and context. A lot of NCS's work has deeply rooted in process. Like, how do we begin to like do the right shifts? And one of the things that we recognize as a district is a part of the larger context of the city of Chicago that two things, we have to focus on early literacy. So as we've been thinking about like the preschool rollout, like how do we ensure that students who are living um, in divested communities, I just call it what it is, are getting the right early supports, right? So that because the 10% can become stagnant and we have to think about what's the long-term win for ensuring that young people are coming to uh, school already having some of the background that they need to be successful. One of the things I recognize is like a lot of our early, um, from our youngest, youngest learners, their parents are working a lot. 
constantly working hourly wages. And so they're depending on us as a system to be supportive of the needs of young people. So the more we do the early literacy piece, the, the better we, we are. And I remember when Dr. Jackson visited Tilden in 2015 and she sat down with myself and she brought a board member and we were talking about the work in schools. And one of the things that I said is that we need a curriculum. Like my teachers are smart. They're brilliant. They're developing content uh, to support students. But we have to have a solid curriculum that is accessible to anyone across the district so that teachers are not spending their time trying to figure out, like, how to help students meet whatever this this particular standard is. And so now that we have released the Curriculum Equity Project and that work is starting to roll out, I feel like that also takes some of the... um, weight off of a teacher's shoulder to figure out like what am I going to teach and how am I going to teach it when we when teachers probably want to spend more time on how do I transfer this information or help students along with understanding what this means and being able to apply it so I just want to highlight the sort of district transformation that has to also happen while we are doing the school transformation work that it is it is a both and proposition that we that everyone is responsible for the growth and success of our young people absolutely i just wanted a quick time check on questions i know we're going to do questions from the audience um keep going okay great are we collecting cards i just want to make sure okay so if people have questions, I want to make sure people are writing, collecting, and, and we can get them up here. <laughs> so um, thank you. Um, one thing I want to follow up on is trauma. So, you know, and how that is sort of permeating your work. Um, I've heard it come up a couple times even on the panel. I was on a, um, at a different event that, that talked about trauma as really being core to a bunch of the work. You know, a lot of teacher training programs are now trauma-informed, you know, teacher training programs, trauma-informed, you know, um, programs coming to the school. You know, how is that playing out in sort of NCS's work at Tilden, you know, at the dis- district lens? But it, it feels like just a subject that we can't ignore um, currently in Chicago. Yeah. You want to say? What's really important for me every time we talk about trauma is that we also don't use trauma as an excuse for racism. Mm -hmm. And that um, is really important. And that's actually uh, John King's line. So (laughs) the former secretary of education. But what what he is essentially saying is that we can't say, oh, kids can't perform or do well because they're having these issues in their lives. Um, because sometimes we lower the expectation for young people based on some of the, the things that they're grappling with. And we, I just want to heighten that for us, that we really make sure that we are sort of bracketing trauma in a way that we recognize it is not their fault. Um, that trauma, we, one of my beliefs is you don't center a problem in a problem. And so if children are experiencing something that has been traumatic, we have to think, like, why is this happening? And what are the sort of burdens that are imposing, uh, that, are, that children or young people are weighing on their shoulders? Like, how do we make sense of that? And so at Tilden, to bring it full circle for a moment, is we actually went from trauma-informed to trauma-sensitive to trauma-responsive. And that particular journey, like, you can know a lot about being trauma-informed and be like, oh, I feel so sorry for you. I hope this works out. 
um, you know, and can kind of keep going. Um, but really, like, how do you take that information, understand what that means as a community, and then how do you become sensitive or empathetic to that? But then how do you respond to it? And I think um, Dawn probably won't say this about herself, but she was leading um, or co-leading the work of the behavioral health team at Tilden. So she was critical in setting up the systems and structures so that when something would happen in the lives of one of our young people and we had the response, she was on the front line of, of responding to those needs. Um, and, be, and that system that she um, and Ellen Kennedy and a few others who helped to develop has been a model for Chicago public schools um, in terms of like how do you really, as a school, begin to support young people no matter how they show up in school buildings. If I can build on that and talk about Don a little bit more. <laughs> um, I just want to connect it to what Don, what Don was saying earlier about teachers building relationships with students. Um, um, I also want to say, and Tilden led the way with this, like we all have trauma. And Tilden had their staff do the ACES um, survey and talk about the numbers. Like It's not like those kids have trauma and we are unscathed. Like that is, that's not the reality of life. Um, but the relationships, the development of relationships that Don was talking about, which are more possible when a curriculum exists and you're not trying to create curriculum every night. And I also want to hold up the, um, the mindset shift of like what my job as a teacher is. I feel like when we entered the work and still in many places in, in high school, um, I would say in high school, teachers are more wed to their content. In elementary schools, you teach fourth graders, right? Or you teach kindergarten. Those are students, right? But in high school, I teach math or I teach social studies. And it's less about, it's more about my content and less about the students. And one of the shifts that I've seen in, in many places, um, and maybe especially in Tilden, is that the teacher shifts their mindset from, I am a teacher of young people, I'm forming relationships with them. And it's through these developmental relationships that both cognitive and social-emotional learning happen because really they're not different, right? That's a false duality that we've created that our science has shown is not even possible. So this old story of like, I am going to stand at the front of this classroom and I'm going to deliver this content, right, which is still happening in a lot of places, including this university, right? And then I will tell you whether you understand it or not and that will be your great. Right? Like that is a job description of a teacher, right? Um, and that's not the job description of teachers until then. I think, and I would add, um, just to reiterate what Maurice said about this idea of trauma can't be the excuse, the, it has to then become the reason why the work that we're doing is so important. And so one of the things that we've uh, done at Tilden is to create this, uh, we have something called zones of regulation. So Students and adults have a system in place to say, hey, I'm in the green, hey, I'm in the red, I'm in the yellow, I'm in the blue. And that's common language throughout the building, so everyone knows what's needed in the moment with very little conversation about it. Kids have to ha get uh, some breathing room. And then the other, uh, something that we haven't mentioned, which is very, very real, is this idea of secondary trauma. The adults in the building are experiencing this idea of secondary trauma, this, this, 
feeling of secondary trauma. And so we are, we're trying to work at making sure that we understand how to support the adults in the building who are coming in and working with uh, young people every day as well, because it cannot, we cannot lower the bar. We cannot lower the expectation. We have to support, we have to validate, and we have to say this is why this work is more critical than ever. Okay, we're going to start with questions from the audience. We have many now, but I called them up. Um, I don't know if we have enough time, but we'll try to get through a bunch. Um, they're wide-ranging in topic. <laughs> Just a warning to the... Okay, so we're going to start with, um, with the increased disinvestment from the state to provide tuition grant dollars for low-income students, what can systems do to support students who want to go to college but cannot afford it? And how should policies be oriented to ensure those students persist through graduation? I would say um, the, from the equity office perspective, we need to call that out. Like we don't have to just accept that that is the way it is. Um, it's like a part of the work is policy within the district, but also thinking about advocacy for more funding. Uh, Illinois is one of the still in the bottom five percent of, of having underfunded districts, and that's still not okay. And so how do we begin to have that more open conversation? I think at a school level, so that's like a part of the work. At a systems level, we always have to have conversations about resources and how do we ensure that the right resources are getting to the right groups of students so that the achievement of those students uh, is constantly rising, which can give way to kids having high, uh, students having higher GPAs, which can allow for more scholarships. So there are ways in which like everybody can take on a particular role and ensuring that young people are having uh, better outcomes academically that can lead to potentially other sources of funding. Um, but I will say we cannot just say, oh, they don't give us enough and we have to be okay with that. When the equity campaign a few years ago started, we received more funding. But from my perspective, when you've been on the side of having less, it, that is still not okay. And so till the least served students are having better access and opportunity, we have to continue to have an advocacy role. And at the federal level as well. Like, no one can be left alone until we get the students in Chicago what they need. I just want to add that, like, I think it's important to name that that's, that's white supremacy. Like, we're saying that you can go to college if your family can afford for you to go to college. So we're cutting off people that, and that's just right. maintaining the system so that people in power maintain their, their status and, um, and that that's not okay. You know, it's not okay for us to divest in our young people um, of any color, right? Because that, that's our future. Um, I often wonder who we think is going to pay our Social Security if young people don't have good jobs. You know, that's not, that's not in the bank. Um, and so it's, it's not okay for anyone. And as our student population has become more black and Latino, we have divested with money. And that's, that's not okay. And it's white supremacy. Thank you. Okay, so literacy continues to be a struggle and a barrier for so many in CPS. What are some of the ways the Equity Office and other partners can tackle issues with teacher preparation to meet the needs of all CPS students? That's a conversation that we have to continue to have. Um, even at the collegiate level, um, the more so a part of my, when I don't have anything to do, um, <laughs> I have been looking at what are the programs um, that are producing teachers and what is the what are the courses that they have to take in order to be um, 
a literacy teacher and we've and I'm watching at least by course code there is not deep literacy teaching that happens uh, at the collegiate level and that's the conversation we have to have uh, 20 years ago 1999 summer of 1999 I'm in college and I'm sitting with one of my best friends and I learned that he couldn't read like I'm saying hey read this newspaper and then he finally said Maurice I can't read like it still tugs at me today that somebody who now cognitively he could have those conversations right so a teacher in a classroom can consider audio text to keep the cognition and conversation going even if a child can't lift up words off a page so I just want to flag that for us like there are still ways to support young people um, but when we think of early literacy that's a part of the work that we've done with the the pre-k initiative um, there have been some additional trainings within the district and a part of this is also about expectations so um, we will soon share more about some literacy planning that's happening within Chicago public schools, but just know that we are tackling that issue head on. Um, I became, I was studying to be an English teacher and I became a reading teacher. Um, so I have a, a lot of background in knowing how to teach reading that lately I've been refreshing because I really want to ensure that students who are coming to school every day are getting the supports that they need. So that is, it's a high priority for us. How are your institutions, your different organizations, um, Tilden, the district, uh, incorporating career pathway programs as an option for non-college bound students? Do you consider this part of your equity um, work? I'll speak on, on behalf of Tilden. One of the things that we uh, have been doing this year is providing more opportunities for our students to go outside of school and visit some of the colleges that have trade programs and that have different opportunities for students. Um, because we do have a number of kids who are saying, I want to be an electrician. I want to be a carpenter. Um, and what we also are trying to make sure that we help our young people understand is that our work for you is to give you the tools that you need so that you make a choice, so that you get to choose where you want to go and what you want to do. And we will expose you to as many opportunities while you're with us as we can so that you feel like you really made a solid choice uh, because of everything that was offered to you. So we, we've we taken kids on several juniors, seniors, sophomores, our ninth graders. We're trying to offer a full range of exposure so that kids really can see what that career pathway looks like and what it's going to take for them to actually get there. Three things. Uh, first, we have Learn, Plan, Succeed within Chicago Public Schools where we say uh, the adults in the school need to make sure that every student who is graduating is leaving school with the post-secondary plan and so that we know where young people are going and that we as a system um, will do a better job um, with supporting young people with understanding what the possibilities are. The other side of it is I want to make sure that when kids are not choosing college, it is not because they are intimidated by it, that they are making the choice because that's clearly what they want to do. Um, and, and we also have to think about how do we send young people to schools that will do the necessary supports for them to be successful in those colleges. So a part of this work is like, how do we unlock equity? How do we create more opportunities for young people to have access to um expeditions, trips, uh, access to downtown so that they could also reimagine what, what they want for themselves. Um, that's All of these things are important. So what I think what I'm pointing to is like there is no one size fits all. It's a very complex 
issue when it's an equity issue is either complicated or complex, and we have to begin to address that from multiple uh, ways. This is getting kind of theoretical, but I think that the reason that we say everyone needs to go to college is because it's very hard to earn a living wage without college, but that's because we set it up that way. It didn't used to be that way, and there's a lot of jobs that you might not actually need a college degree for that a college degree is required for. So, like, we're just setting artificial barriers. Mm -hmm. If we move more towards, like, can you do the job and not what degree you have, that would change a lot of the conversation about who who needs to go to college and for what especially when it's so expensive. And our students are resilient. Like those who have been locked out of opportunity, and and this is not like school district specific. This is city national. Like across the country, we have locked young people out of opportunity. And, And we have to just own that we have to create that access and opportunity. Like we owe it to them in service of them to create more opportunity for them to to have access to all the things that we as many of us have middle class lives and they don't have to live whatever I don't even know what middle class values are to be honest with you (laughs) whatever that is but we need to make sure that they have what they need and they know what they want and it's only fair if we disrupt the way in which we work to ensure that they have that so just know young people especially those who have experienced trauma When they are coming to school, they are showing us how resilient they are. Mm -hmm. And we need to acknowledge that and then harness that energy to provide, to Don's point, access and opportunity. Um, Parents, a question on how are parents collaborators in this work and in educational equity overall? And it's really for anybody. But Don? Sure. Um, (laughs) We... uh, Full transparency, parent engagement uh, is a struggle. I think across the board in high schools, the parent presence seems to lessen more and more as students get older. Um, So one of the things that we're trying to do is think about what are some ways that we can have parents come in to give some resources or to to, um, actually host some workshops? What are things that we can do to build the parent base in our community that gives back to the parent who's coming in where they feel like, "Mm, I'm going to get something out of this for me. Yes, I'm coming because my child attends this school. And yes, I'm going to be a part of this conversation and and work with the school on behalf of my, my child. But one of the things that we have been really trying to do is to figure out ways to get parents in the building um, to provide opportunities and different um, things that parents might benefit. So sometimes we might have a yoga clinic during the day, or sometimes we might have some sort of, um, we had a few, we had massage. We're thinking about what parents might need. Uh, So we had some people coming in offering massages to parents. We had a parent workshop about uh, building resumes and trying to just, be a community hub for families and not necessarily what can you do for me, but what can we do for you to help you uh, in your family structure? Some parents have been underserved. (laughs) So what does that mean for us, right? We have to reimagine how we are connecting to parents. And I'm I'm so happy that uh, FACE, the Family uh, and Community Engagement Office, is really grappling with this right now. And they're bringing parents in to actually figure out how do we engage you? Like, how do we be of service 
to you. When a parent works two jobs, they honestly don't have time to come to school because that cuts into the rent. And so it's not that parents don't want to be engaged. They are thinking, I have to make sure that we have food on the table. So like we've at Tilden, we had to reimagine what our perceptions were of parents and caregivers um, as we think about what does parenting supports look like? And so when Dawn talks about building resumes, that's an opportunity for parents. You get to see teachers and you get to get support on your resume so we can help you get a job or get a new job or a better job. And so that I just want to shout out like that. Dawn is really heightening that work at Tilden, but we know community engagement can't be like you just come to one of our meetings and then we just tell you some things, but we have to reimagine how do we understand parents and caregivers as partners. Um, and that work is happening right now. As a parent of two high school students, <laughs> um, I will also, I, I think that like, yes, what do you expect of me as a parent? Um, I'll also say that's an unintended consequence of the school of high school choice. Um, it's, it's a lot different to go to a five o'clock or six o'clock meeting in, in your school when it's in your community and when it's across town in rush hour traffic, it's different. So it's, a, it's an unintended barrier. Yes. Um, okay, I'm getting the last question call here. So um, what are the biggest shifts you've seen in how government and philanthropy think about school improvement uh, over the last, say, decade of your work? I'll start. What, what I think we have... We've seen a lot of support for this capacity building approach that Don was talking about. A lot of school reform is done to schools by other people who are experts in something and may or may not understand the local context. Um, and this capacity building approach, when we started the Network for College Success, our understanding was we, you, you could have a pile this high of the studies that said this was a good idea and it didn't work because there was no capacity in the school to implement the reform. Okay, if that's the case, what if we make the people in the school the reform? And um, places like Tilden have gotten to um, a level of functioning with the teams and the data and the expertise and the trust and the relationships that if someone said, you have to do this, there's a mechanism to make that happen. And I, and I would say that was not the case when we started. And, um, and the shift towards that capacity building approach is very heartening. Uh, as, as I have been engaging with foundations in the philanthropic community more, what I am observing um, or hearing is people are starting to think about how do we invest in places that need us the most as opposed to how do I find uh, sources of comfort where it's easy to give money to already hyper-resource situations. So I do feel like there is this sort of pivot that's happening. Like some people can raise money and they can be fine. And like, how do we as a philanthropic community look for opportunities to invest in schools that are demonstrating promising practices to really, really heighten the work and drive the work forward? Um, that has happened, I would probably say, that I have observed over the last year. And also to Sarah's point, it's about process. A part of this is about believing that the adults in the building have the capacity to do the work. And if we support them in the right way, some of this work can get done better. With that, we will end the panel. So I want to thank them all for being part of this. <laughs>